if you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. I was doing my breakfast dishes this morning, turned the garbage disposal on, and then heard that terrible noise when you know something is in the disposal, but like you can totally tell the damage has already been done. Sure enough, it was an easy peasy tiny spoon, totally shredded, which if I've learned anything about these baby lead weaning spoons from Easy Peasy is that the garbage disposal and the dog both love them. And I was bummed because it's one of my favorite colors that they make, the light gray line, which is called pewter. But my garbage disposal disaster, I guess it came at just the right time because Easy Peasy is having their annual Mother's Day sale from this Friday to Sunday, so May 10th to 12th. You can get 20% off all of the Easy Peasy feeding gear with the affiliate discount code BLWMOM on orders of $50 or more. So this is a great time to stock up at 20% off because my regular Easy Peasy code is usually only for 10% off. So this bump up to 20% off is nice, but it's just for three days. So head to easypeasyfun.com to grab tiny spoons, their tiny cups, and the best suction mats and bowls for baby lead weaning. They have a really cool new bundle maker on their website if you want to group or piece a few items together or If you just don't want to think about it, then just grab one of the Easy Peasy First Foods sets. It has everything you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods with baby led weaning. That code is BLWMOM for 20% off Easy Peasy orders of $50 or more now through Sunday, May 12th at easypeasyfun.com. And happy Mother's Day to you. This is something that's so common, right? And for the vast majority of those babies who spit up, it's not a problem. It's something like the saying in the pediatric GI world is that it's a laundry problem, but not a medical problem. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're talking about gut stuff, not your gut, your baby's gut. My guest is Dr. Peter Liu. Dr. Liu is a pediatric gastroenterologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital. He's part of their GI Motility Center physician team there, but he's also an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. And Dr. Lou, let me just preface this interview with like, this guy loves gut stuff. He's the host of a pediatric GI podcast. So he produces this on behalf of the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition. And the name of Dr. Lou's podcast, wait for it, is Bowel Sounds. How great is that? (laughs) He's here today to talk on my podcast about GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and your baby reflux for you parents with babies who have reflux. You have got to hear Dr. Lou's message. And this is important stuff because about half of all babies have some form of reflux. And there's tons of confusion, shocker, about what different dietary things we can be doing for GERD babies. And a lot of the advice you hear is like, oh, you got to start solids early because it's going to help your baby's GERD. So I wanted to pick Dr. Lou's brain about the research and his professional practice in clinic and find out if that's really true. Like, does starting solid foods early help these babies with GERD? And if you've already started solid foods and your baby still is experiencing some GERD-like symptoms, Dr. Lou is going to be talking about what you can be doing from a nutrition standpoint as well. Oh, and another thing about Dr. Lou, he's also a baby-led weaning dad. 
First time dad, he's doing BLW with his daughter, Emma, right now. He's going to be talking a little bit about that and the struggle for like meal prep and how he feels kind of guilty and he's got to work a lot and he's not there for all the foods. And like, I got to be honest, it's really refreshing to hear about some dad guilt as compared to mom guilt for once. But I'm going to let you guys formulate your own opinions. I think he is fabulous. I love the real life doctor dad perspective. So with no further ado, here's Dr. Peter Liu talking about GERD when your baby starts solid foods. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you about babies and GERD and starting solid foods. But before we dive in, could you give us a little background about the type of work that you do and maybe a little bit about your family if you wanted to share about a particular baby who's doing baby led weaning? (laughs) (laughs) So I am a pediatric gastroenterologist at Nation Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. I specialize in GI motility disorders, so disorders of how things move through the digestive tract. And that includes like rare things like gastroparesis, but also disorders like gastroesophageal reflux and constipation. I'm also the research director of our GI motility center here. So in addition to seeing patients in clinic and in the hospital, I also do research on new ways to evaluate and treat these patients. About my family, so right, my wife is a facial plastic surgeon. And about seven months ago, we had our first baby. Her name is Emma. So yeah, in terms of like the audience for this podcast, like I'm living it right now. It has been an amazing journey so far. And obviously it's just begun. Okay. And are you guys doing baby led weaning with Emma and how's it going? Like, be honest, because I know you guys both work a lot. And some of the concerns you were sharing before we started is like things that all parents feel. And so it's nice to hear from the guests that maybe you feel the same way. Obviously it's been an amazing experience, but also there is still, you know, both my wife and our, you know, we're full-time. I took off like two weeks and she only took off about six weeks. And I think that there's still some, a little bit of guilt that we're not spending enough time with her or putting all this time in to prepare her food and read her books every night and all this stuff. Like sometimes we don't remember like the last time we gave her a bath. I feel like uh, from a feeding standpoint, one thing that has written, well, obviously, even before the invite to this uh, podcast, we have been following you on Instagram. And so it's really helpful for practical tips on what to do. We had always had the idea that we wanted to do baby led weaning, but practical tips on like how exactly to prepare the food to give her, um, that was really helpful. So I have to admit, like it's not every single day that we're sitting down with her and giving her a new food, but we do our best. And I think that's kind of all they can do. I love that. You mentioned that you do a little bit of meal prep now. Do you have any tips for parents? Because we got a lot of working parents who are like, I listen to this on the way to work or like, you know, right before bed, if we're doing laundry and stuff. And how do you fit some of it in or any tip that's helped you as you kind of make the transition to solid foods with Emma? Yeah. So nothing groundbreaking. I mean, no, like weekdays, it's really hard for us to find the time. So on the weekend, we just make a bunch of food. We give it to her, prepare it throughout the week. So kind of like what we do for our lunches. That's awesome. And it's okay to try multiple new foods. I mean, I know you're friends with Dr. Stukas. Like he'll tell you if it's not an allergenic food, like you can do multiple new foods in a day if they're the low risk foods. And a lot of parents that work are like, listen, I got maybe one weekday in me and then we do two weekend days. We try a bunch of new foods. Like that's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing now. All right. So we're here to talk today about GERD. I have been dying to chat with you. Like literally since we started the podcast, we've been looking for an expert to come on to talk about infant GERD because reflux and GERD, and you said gastroesophageal reflux disease, like, is this the same thing as just having a baby who spits up a lot? Could you kind of set us straight on the terminology in your world? Right. I think it's super important to know like what exactly we're talking about before we go into it. So gastroesophageal reflux, that's when the stomach contents come back up into the esophagus that may or may not lead to spitting up or vomiting. 
And that's something that happens in everyone. That's a normal process that by itself is really not a problem. But when reflux leads to quote unquote bothersome symptoms, which admittedly is like a subjective term, that's when we place the label of GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease. So just as an example, so maybe that's a baby who's vomiting after every feeding, but also is having a lot of pain and irritability, discomfort, maybe not gaining weight as well. And so I think that kind of highlights the fact that reflux is something that happens really to some degree in every baby. And there's a wide spectrum of the problems that can cause and how bad it can be. And, you know, when you mentioned, so is that just a baby who spits up a lot? You know, does that mean they have reflux? And the answer to that is like maybe or probably since reflux is going to be the most common reason for spitting up shortly after feeding. But one thing to remember is that, you know, spitting up or irritability, crying, back arching, that can be caused by other things too. For example, like cow's milk protein intolerance or cow's milk protein allergy. So that's not a true IgE mediated food allergy, but things like that can cause symptoms that look identical to reflux. So yes, the baby who spits up a lot probably has reflux, but looks like reflux is not always reflux. And some of that, like figuring out what is and what is not is, you know, our job as uh, pediatricians and GI doctors. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. All right, Dr. Lou, when does infant GERD tend to run its course? Like, does it get worse as the baby gets older? Like, how should parents be prepared if they know their babies had GERD and now they're getting ready to transition to solid foods? Right. I think that's a really important point, especially when we're thinking about what to do when an infant has GERD. So we know that infants had GERD have symptoms that usually peak between two to four months of age. And then usually around six months, their symptoms will start to gradually improve as they grow and they develop and also as their diet changes and solids are introduced. And we typically will say we expect reflux to go away by 12 months to 18 months. And like, obviously there's some variability here. So I try to reassure parents I've told this to like at six and a half months, if things aren't clearly better yet, like I really do expect this to get better. And I think it's also a way to think about, well, if we're struggling at three months or four months, maybe not jumping to do a whole bunch of testing and medications if we know that this is something that should get better with time. And I think for parents that are heading into the six-month mark when they start solid foods, it's really helpful to know that, hey, maybe the worst of this is past us and we won't have to make a bunch of accommodations when we do start solid foods. Can we talk about timing? For babies that have GERD, is there a length of time that they should remain upright after having you know, milk until they're six months of age and then foods as they start at six months and beyond? This may not be what listeners want to hear, but No, there's not like a standard time that every baby has to be upright if they have GERD. 
So yes, it's true. Like if you hold them upright longer, the stomach has longer time to empty. So there's less like the baby will spit up, but you know, there's not a firm rule. I feel like there's already enough things that babies, that parents are uh, thinking about. There's, I don't want to make another rule for parents to follow. It's really based on the individual baby, how bad the reflux is. And really the parent knows best, like when the baby is more likely to spit up. So I think that should be kind of individualized to the baby. You know, parents like to time stuff. Like they'll email me like, how many seconds should the baby be sitting up independently before I know they're ready to eat? So, but that's right. The gut stuff is so individualized, right? What works for one doesn't work for the other. And you guys know your own guts best and you know your baby's guts best. I've got like a litany of questions I've been meaning to ask you. So I know we're moving through these pretty quickly. Another timing question. So I know there's some babies, especially if they're bottle fed, they can, they're pretty proficient. They can drink an eight ounce bottle, maybe at six or seven months of age. If that belly's full of food and they come to the table, they're doing baby led weaning. They have a gag, which we all know is a natural part of learning how to eat. But for babies with a full belly, a particularly involved gag can sometimes elicit a vomit response. So I'll generally tell parents if that's happening, you know, a little bit of vomiting is typical, but like if your baby's vomiting every meal or every day, not typical, wait about an hour from the end of the milk feed until the beginning of the solid food feed. Like breastfed babies, I feel like it doesn't really matter as much because they're not drinking that volume. With Emma, have you guys noticed like a certain amount of time that you try to wait in order to let her stomach empty when she does go to start solid food so she doesn't vomit? So it's true, you know, with a liquid meal, typically we expect the baby to empty their stomach by maybe around 90 minutes to two hours or so. I think waiting an hour is a, a reasonable amount of time. Right. So for us, we do try to give solids kind of in between feedings. So there's some time there. We don't want to, as you said, a full stomach is already predisposed to reflux, right? So there's going to be more pressure in that small little baby's stomach. If we're trying to feed on top of that, any opening of that lower esophageal sphincter, the muscle between the esophagus and the stomach that helps keep stuff down, any opening that's going to let stuff potentially come up. So, right. So I think it does make sense to space out a little bit not only like feedings of all kinds, whether it's breast milk, formula, or solid foods. Dr. Liu, how common is reflux in babies? It's a little bit of a complicated answer. I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about before is that reflux is a term that kind of means different things, right? So we know that some degree of just having stomach contents come up into the esophagus is a normal common event. In some studies, about half of babies under four months will have reflux that leads to spitting up and potentially vomiting at least once a day. So that's a very common thing. But another showed that about two thirds at four months of age had some degree of spitting up. But, you know, we, as we talked about, that's not necessarily a problem. And if it's happening that frequently, that's probably like a normal thing then. But reflux that's bothersome. So reflux that meets the criteria for gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD, that's much less common. There have been some studies showing that that affects maybe 20 to 25% of infants. But even that, I think there's a lot of people in the field who feel like that may be a little bit of an overestimate. And part of that's because the diagnostic criteria, the way that we define the diagnosis is, you know, a little bit subjective, right? It's based on... It's like job security for you, right? Like if no one really <laughs> understands it, they'll have to come to the GI doc to figure it out. Right, right. So yeah, so it's hard to say, but yeah, reflux definitely is a common problem. GERD, where it's causing a problem, you know, maybe those babies need evaluation or treatment. That's going to be a, a much smaller fraction. All right. So talk about some evaluations and treatments. Like, are we talking surgery here? Should they start solid foods early? Do we take medications? Like if you've been told your baby has GERD and you're getting towards a six month mark, what should we do? So there's a lot of different parts that answer. So first of all, in terms of testing, like how do we make the diagnosis? The diagnosis is really made based on the story and a good physical exam by the physician 
really to make sure that we're not missing other reasons for vomiting. Because I think, like we talked about before, not all vomiting is reflux. And especially in babies, if there are concerning signs, like the vomiting is big, like large volume, really forceful, consistently, especially if there's any blood or bile in the vomit, if it's impacting the weight gain of the infant, all those things mean that maybe there needs to be some more evaluation to look for other reasons for vomiting. So testing wise, if the story and the exam are reassuring, then that's really enough to make that diagnosis. Technically, like, yes, there are more specialized tests we do that can measure like how often reflux happens in a 24-hour period and whether there's acid or not and that kind of stuff. But really that's reserved for severe cases that are more complex. And in terms of treatment, this has evolved a little bit over time, but certainly, you know, we had talked about the natural history of reflux and how typically with time, this will get better. But obviously reflux at the moment when it's at its worst, especially can be very distressing and stressful and can cause a lot of discomfort to the baby. So yes, there are things that we will do for it. Typically that starts with modifying feeding. One of the most basic things would be making sure we're not overfeeding the baby as you had alluded to. So if we give too much into the small stomach, that's going to predispose to reflux. There is some uh, data that thickening feedings can help decrease how often stuff comes up, right? So solids tend to stay down better than liquids. So thickening formula to some degree can help keep stuff down. So that's something that we'll think about as well, if it makes sense for that family in that situation. And then after that, it's really, while we kind of progress through this, we're still also thinking about the baby's age, whether this is impacting other things like weight gain. But after that is something that potentially trying a change in their diet to remove things like calcium protein or soy protein. And that's not really to treat the reflux itself. It's because we know that calcium protein intolerance or food protein induced proctocolitis, where there's a sensitivity to certain food proteins, that that can look just like reflux. And so trying a trial of two to four weeks of cutting that out, whether it's changing to a more broken down formula or asking the mom to try to cut out milk and dairy from their diet. So that can come in, into play as a, almost like a test, but also a treatment to see if that helps with uh, decreasing vomiting. And then finally, there are sometimes we'll use acid medications, but really, you know, we try to really reserve that for patients who don't respond or babies who don't respond to some of the other things we just talked about. Let's go back to talking about the thickening feedings because parents hear that and then what they hear is, or they get it, especially sometimes older people recommend it. Oh, just put some rice cereal in the baby's bottle. It will help them sleep through the night and be less fussy. And now we're concerned about potential choking hazard and et cetera. But there's some parents, I was just speaking to someone recently, so really is three months old, her pediatrician told her to do rice cereal because that thickened food is going to help the GERD go away. Is that true? So there's no medical research evidence that shows that introducing solid foods early, especially that age, that that will at all treat reflux, right? So I had alluded to thickening feedings. That's like thickening like formula, for example. So when the baby feeds, that stays down better. But if the baby got rice cereal in the morning, like that's not going to affect any of the feedings later on in the, in the day. So no. So giving solid foods or rice cereal on its own, like that's not going to help with reflux. The thickening, as you had mentioned in the past, we used to primarily recommend thickening formula with rice cereal. As you've talked about in past episodes, there are concerns now about rice cereal and arsenic and things like that. So we've kind of moved away from that a little bit, although many people still do uh, recommend rice cereal. 
For formula-fed babies, we'll oftentimes recommend um, some of the anti-regurgitation formulas that are already thickened. But yes, the thickening formula can help with reflux um, in the right patient. But giving rice cereal or other foods early, that's not going to be a treatment for reflux. Besides baby-led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know I ask you a lot of leading questions, but that one I was like, I hope that he's on board with this because the worst is if the doc comes on, it's like, yeah, totally. Go ahead and start solid foods at three months of age. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe like it could help, but then if they choke and die in the meantime, is that really like a good intervention? So I, I appreciate your nuance there that there's a number of different ways to thicken. Can you talk about some of those formulas, like the hydrolyzed or broken down ones or certain thicker formulas? Are they like, super expensive? Do parents have to be on them forever? Do you have to have a prescription? How does that work? Yeah. So that's a great question too. Cause I think, so I alluded to at a certain point in the pathway, you know, especially if babies have continued reflux GERD symptoms, despite adjusting feedings or making sure we're not overfeeding, there may come a time that we want to try to cut out cow's milk and soy, soy protein. And oftentimes formula fed babies that it comes in the form of a partially hydrolyzed formula, but that's not something that the baby needs for sure for the rest of their infancy. Right. I mean, that's a test. It's because we don't have better tests to diagnose things like cow's milk protein intolerance in babies. It's not a traditional food allergy, even though oftentimes it's referred to as cow's milk allergy. So traditional allergy testing is not going to work. And it's something where we try to test for it by removing it from the diet and watching what the baby does. So typically, well, I usually recommend uh, two to four weeks of trying this formula or having the mom try to eliminate uh, milk and dairy from her diet. That's a challenging thing to do. You know, it does take a little bit of time for the protein to fully clear from breast milk, but that's not like a permanent thing, right? So it depends on how the baby does. I think one mistake is sometimes people will just make that change in the formula and just leave it there forever, even if the baby didn't get any better. Um, so the idea is it's a test to see if these symptoms that suggest reflux are actually caused by an intolerance of cow's milk or soy protein. And if it's not, then we go back to a regular formula or, you know, mom returns to a regular diet because right, those formulas are more expensive. And obviously for a mom with a young baby, especially cutting out milk and dairy from her diet, um, that's going to be very challenging. It's drastic and devastating for the moms just to like, they write to me all the time. And I appreciate you mentioning that there's a time limit 
on some of these elimination diet trials because we do meet moms who are like, oh, since the first week I was breastfeeding, I've cut out all dairy and cheese and I'm on this new Tramogen or something super expensive. And you're like, oh my gosh, have you had a follow-up with the GI specialist? Well, no, when we, after we left the hospital, and that's the problem. Sometimes you leave the hospital, you have your pediatrician, which is great. But if you don't have the specialist care follow-up, sometimes you might be on these crazy therapeutic interventions that are super expensive and maybe not entirely necessary. So I think it's great to remind us like, oh, we should be checking back. Like, do we still need to be on these things? Okay, I know you are an Instagram fan. Oh, you guys, he's also a podcast host. This is the best thing ever. Can you please just tell us about your podcast? You should do it. Okay, okay. So I created and host a podcast for our Pediatric GI Society. It's called Bowel Sounds, the Pediatric GI Podcast. I'm glad we got to Bowel Sounds before other GI societies got to it. But um, but yeah, we talk about various GI topics and conditions and uh, yeah, people should check it out. There has never been a better podcast name than Bowel Sounds. I love it. Okay, let's talk about Instagram though, because parents send me these wackadoodle accounts of bloggers and moms, and I'm sure they're well-meaning, but totally not credentialed individuals, like literally giving therapeutic nutrition advice about GERD for babies. Like maybe they had one baby with GERD. They recommend all these supplements and these ridiculous diets that have no basis in evidence. What should we avoid or look out for when it comes to basically sketchy sources of info for babies with GERD? Because if you're saying it affects half of all babies, like there's a huge market to exploit parents fear about GERD and how do we know what's legit and not? So, right. I think one thing to highlight, like you said, um, this is something that's so common, right? And for the vast majority of those babies who spit up, it's not a problem. It's something, it's like the saying in the pediatric GI world is that it's a laundry problem, but not a medical problem. This is something that babies will outgrow. But I agree because especially as a first time parent, I understand like anytime something, you know, even when my baby spits up or vomits, you know, I, I think about it a little bit it's something to pay extra attention to. Because I do think there are people who uh, may be trying to use this fear for their own gain. And so just like for all information we read on the internet, you know, I think you got to make sure that the source is trustworthy by doing a little bit of research and looking at their background. So you're trying to look for information put out by professionals with the right credentials who specialize in these disorders. One other thing I'll just a plug I'll put out there is our Pediatric GI Society um, has a patient education website called GI Kids. The website is uh, gikids.org. And there's a section on reflux and there's some videos and resources. And so things like that, I think patient organizations like GI medical organizations, uh, over time, obviously, uh, there's a huge recognition that us talking to a family and clinic every four months, that's not going to be the same as like patients are not going to be waiting with their questions to ask that at that appointment, they're looking online for answers. So I think over time, our medical societies will be better at putting information out there as well. It's the same thing in everyone's field. I feel like, like you have a few credentialed professionals, there's some evidence, but when it applies to a lot of babies like starting solid foods or babies who spit up, there's this huge potential for misinformation. So thank you so much for being here today, for sharing this information with our audience. Where can we go to learn more about you and your work that you're doing as a pediatric GI specialist? I'm on Twitter. My handle is PLLU. And then as you mentioned, I have a podcast called Bowel Sounds. So check it out. And that's about it. You're very good with words. So thank you for sharing your words about GERD with us. I'm going to link to all of the resources that you mentioned in today's episode on the show notes, which you guys can find at blwpodcast.com. Dr. Lou, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the information you put out there. How cool is Dr. Lou? I mean, I love when someone could take a kind of dorky topic. No offense if GERD is your life's work, but like GERD, you know, not always super interesting and make it really interesting 
and applicable and share his personal real life experience as well as his clinical expertise. So thank you, Dr. Lou, for that great episode. I am going to link up all the resources he mentioned, including a link to his podcast, Bowel Sounds, on the show notes for this episode, which you guys can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 182. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you next time. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.